8, verses 16 to 20. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is the word of the Lord. All right, thanks very much to Megan for reading for us today. It'd be great if you could have that passage open with you in your Bible. We're in the middle of a three-part series at the moment, looking at what it means to be a disciple of the Lord Jesus, um, looking at his great commission to discipleship in Matthew 28. I'm going to pray for us, and then let's get into that passage together. Our Lord and God, We pray that you'd please allow your word now to be a lamp to our feet and a light to our path, that you may give us life according to your word, that what you've said may bring us joy, that our hearts may be inclined to serve you forever. For Jesus' sake we pray. Amen. A friend of mine tells a story many years ago when he was working for a large and important insurance firm in London. And one morning there'd been a security incident at the building. And there was a security checkpoint on the way in. People and their their bags were being checked. And as he walked through the doors uh, with his briefcase, a security guard said to him, excuse me, sir, what's in the briefcase? And my friend, who you must know, lived with a bit of a twinkle in his eye responded to the security guard, dynamite. Whereupon all hell broke loose as he was grabbed by a bunch of security guards and the briefcase was ripped off him and popped open only to reveal his Bible sitting on top of a pile of papers. At which point he declared to his captors, see, I told you it was dynamite. I've always really hoped the story is true. What certainly is true is that the Bible is dynamite. In fact, it is discipleship dynamite. There is nothing which you or I have which is more valuable to our life with the Lord Jesus than our Bibles. As I've said, we're spending three Sundays looking at the different aspects of discipleship that Jesus raises in Matthew 28. And today we're looking at word-based, word-focused discipleship. Last week, we started by looking at what discipleship is, that it's learning from and imitating the Lord Jesus through submission to his lordship and dependence on his presence. And we also looked at the heart of discipleship, that 
It is gospel-centered, that discipleship is the only way of life which can possibly be an appropriate response to the cross and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. So today we'll look at the more practical side of discipleship, that it's word-focused, and then next week we'll look at the importance of the church in our discipleship. So let's look again at uh, Matthew 28, verse 16. And we're going to look at the value of word-focused discipleship. So following Jesus' death and resurrection, before he returns to heaven, he meets his disciples on the mountain at Galilee, and he tells them what to do between his first and second coming. He establishes his gospel-secured authority in verse 18. And then in verse 19, exercising his authority, he gives his disciples their commission. He says, right, as disciples... Now go and make more disciples. And it starts, yes, it starts with baptism. A response to the gospel and inclusion among his people. And you'll be glad that we'll finally get to look at the command to baptize in more detail next week. But notice how the Christian life doesn't stop with baptism. Jesus' command is not go and make converts. Go and find people who are willing to tick Christian on the census form. Jesus says, go and make disciples, people who are willing to live their confession of me. And then after baptizing, Jesus says, as part of this discipleship, that they must teach them to observe all that I have commanded you, verse 20. Put another way, true Christian discipleship, life following Jesus means engaging with the words of Jesus. Now, this raises, I think, a very obvious question. The question is, is this mandate for Christian discipleship limited to just the actual words of Jesus, just what's recorded for us in the four Gospels? In other words, does Jesus mean for us to get rid of most of our Bibles and just to live off the Sermon on the Mount, the Upper Room Discourse, and a handful of parables? Not at all. For one thing, Jesus himself took the whole Bible very seriously as the word of God. So whether he was asking religious leaders whether they'd actually ever read the Old Testament, Matthew 12, 19 and 22, or whether he was quoting the Old Testament to explain what was happening when he died and rose again, that's uh, Matthew 5, or quoting Deuteronomy chapter 6 and chapter 8 to shoot Satan's temptations full of holes in Matthew 4. The rest of God's word was constantly on Jesus' lips. And of course, as for the the New Testament, the Gospels, Acts, the letters, they're simply the implications and applications of Jesus' command to teach Christian disciples to observe what he had commanded. So to observe all that Jesus commands actually means taking the whole Bible seriously as the word of God. 66 books 45 authors, two testaments, one story. I think this raises a second question too when we talk about discipleship being word-focused. Because sometimes this very word and learning-focused approach to the Christian life is thought about as just one tradition among many. It's a style of being a Christian for those who like to read, or for those who are educated, or for those who are just more academically inclined. 
And at worst, this approach is criticized for over-intellectualizing the Christian life. It's usually contrasted with an approach to the Christian life that's focused more on spiritual experience, more on seeking God in prayer and in worship. Not that those things are bad in and of themselves. But sometimes we make a distinction that word-focused discipleship is for head people, and spirit-focused discipleship is for heart people. And you take your pick. But Jesus doesn't make that distinction, does he? In verse 20, Jesus says that disciples are to make more disciples through teaching. Therefore, disciples grow as disciples through learning. And of course, there is a danger here, especially for churches like ours that do prioritize the ministry of the word, that it can become all head and no heart. It's not what Jesus has in mind at all. He's very clear that learning must be applied through observing or obeying in verse 20. There must be a link between the heart and the head and the heart and the life. And of course, learning-oriented discipleship, which requires time spent in God's word, can be quite intimidating or off-putting in a society where many of us don't read anything longer than a social media post or a tweet or a text message. But I think we've got to remember that a very large proportion of the New Testament was written by fishermen. You think of John's Gospel, you think of um, Peter's letters, you think of Revelation, even Peter's sermons in Acts. This should all give us hope. And of course, we can safely trust that if, if Jesus thinks that the Bible is important, and if God has given us his word as the primary tool for our discipleship, as the primary means that his spirit works in our life, as he carries God's words into our hearts, then we can trust that he can take even the person who struggles to read, the person who doesn't really want to read or find any interest in reading, and give them a hunger for his word and a joy in reading it, and an incredible understanding of what they're experiencing, and even the sense that God himself is speaking directly to them through his word. Friends, Christianity is unavoidably word-focused. And I think it's word-focused because that's the most fundamental thing we can say about the God of the Bible. Our God is a God who speaks. Our God works through powerful words. In the first verses of the Bible, God speaks the universe into being. It's an incredible thought, isn't it? That God said, let there be light. And light, which did not exist to that point, obeys God's command by existing. That's the power of the word of God. The rest of the Bible then is really God's self-revelation of his character and purposes to his people in words we can understand. And he speaks powerfully in his word to reveal, to declare, to enlighten, to explain, to judge, to rebuke, also to comfort, to love, to encourage, to equip, to reassure. And you know, at the end of the day, faith really is just taking God at his word. And it is incredible that we get to hold that word in our hands in a language that we can read and understand. And of course, it's worth remembering that hundreds of years ago, people gave their lives 
so that we could have that, that we can hold these books in our hands and read them ourselves. It was paid for with blood because of how important it is that we hear God's word speaking to us ourselves. Now, I'd like to spend the rest of our time together looking at two important aspects of word-focused discipleship. The first is why the Bible is actually so valuable to us, and the second is how we actually prioritize the Bible as we learn to follow Jesus. Now, I have a suspicion that all of my um, headings and things are all over the place. I think there's a heading there, Luke, called The Value of Word-Focused Discipleship. Thanks, that'd be great. You might just have to follow and change with me as I go. When we talk about the value of word-focused discipleship, I'd like to give you three reasons why God's word is so valuable to us as we walk with Christ. Uh, And I'm going to get us to flick to a few different passages, so please do keep a finger in Matthew 28. The first passage we're going to go to is 1 Peter, chapter 1, verse 22 to 25. It'd be great if you could turn there. It's towards the back of the Bible in the New Testament. 1 Peter, chapter 1, verse 22 to 25. And the good news here is that God's word never changes. We live in a world where information is changing all the time. I think we certainly felt like that during the pandemic, during the restrictions, as vaccines are being rolled out. We didn't know what to trust from one day to the next because it felt like everything kept changing. Uh, what was true 40 years ago is no longer true today. What it was considered morally upright 20 years ago is not considered what's now considered morally corrupt. We live in a world of fake news, of virtual reality. What are we meant to trust? Well, God's word never changes. God's word is always true for all time. So listen to what Peter wrote in his first letter, remembering, of course, that Peter was on the mountain in Matthew 28 hearing Jesus' words. Peter says this, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 22. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth, for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. The word of the Lord remains forever. In verse 24, Peter's actually quoting the Old Testament prophet Isaiah. So seeing the two parts of the Bible uh, pulling together. You see, God's word never needs to be changed or adjusted to accommodate the changing values and preferences of the day. It's almost as though the Bible's like a rock. God's word is like a rock in the middle of a raging river. It's somewhere immovable that you can plant yourself so that you don't get swept away by the currents around you. Surely we need more of this kind of stability in our lives, especially in our thinking, especially today. So that's the first thing. God's word is, um, it's God's word never changes. Secondly, would you turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 3? A little bit further forward in your Bible.
2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 and 17. It's good to know that the Bible isn't just stable, but it's also useful. There are plenty of things that have stood the test of time, but are no longer useful. Uh, I once had the privilege of visiting Stonehenge in England, you know, the big stone circle. It was built thousands of years ago. It's, it stood there for thousands of years. It's looking good for a few thousand more. But is it useful anymore? Not really, other than a, as a source of tourist income. I mean, no one can even remember how you're supposed to use it. But God's word isn't like this. The Bible endures, and it remains useful to us today. So please have a look with me at 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 and 17. It says that all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. I love the image in verse 16. It's meant to make us think back to the way God created man in the first place. God breathed life into man when he created him out of the dust of the ground. It's a similar thing here. God breathes life into his words. So the Bible is really, it's been given life by God himself. And it's useful as a result. If our discipleship is like a journey with Jesus, then the Bible is useful for teaching. It's useful for telling us which way we should go. It's useful for reproof or rebuke, as your Bible might say. It's useful for telling us when we've stepped off the path, when we've stepped off the right track. It's also useful for correcting. It tells us how to get back on the right track. And it's useful for training in righteousness, molding and shaping and disciplining us and equipping us to keep following Jesus, to stay on the right track. So God's word never changes. God's word is useful. Finally, God's word works. And for that, I'd like you to turn back to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. It's before 1 Timothy, just a few pages that way for you guys, this way for me. God's word works, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13. Because God's word isn't just stable, it's not just useful, but it actually works too. And in this way, the Bible is different to every other book you will ever read. So 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13. We also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. What an incredible thing to say, that the word of God is at work in us who believe. Because the Bible's not just someone's bright ideas. It's not just a bunch of stories. It's actually God's word which is carried into our hearts by God's Spirit. And so we can expect it to have an effect on us as we read it. Uh, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12 reminds us that the Word of God is living and active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword, that it pierces to the very core of our being, dividing soul and spirit. God's Word works. And as we read our Bibles, 
even though we might not feel particularly inspired to read it sometimes, even inspired by it, we can actually expect that we will really grow in our understanding of who God is and what he's done for us and what he expects of us. As we read our Bibles, we can actually expect that we'll become more and more aware of our own sin and areas of our lives that we need to bring under Christ's lordship. As we read our Bibles, we can expect that we will really be driven back again and again to the bottomless well of God's mercy in Christ. As we read our Bibles, we can actually expect that we will really become stronger, more peaceful, more loving, more full of joy, more humble and more courageous followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because God's word actually works. You know, Martin Luther, the 16th century reformer, he had a, a very, I guess, earthy way of describing things a lot of the time. He was very real. He was a very authentic kind of guy. And listen to what he said about God's word. He says, the Bible is alive. It speaks to me. It has feet. It runs after me. It has hands. It lays hold of me. Pray that we would have the same experience of God's word which is living and active. So God's word never changes. God's word is useful and God's word works. So how can we prioritize God's word as we follow Jesus? Well, I'll give you seven short suggestions. And I promise you they're short. I thought seven was a good round biblical number as well, so here we go. Number one, start each day with the Bible. It doesn't need to be much, but if God's voice is the first voice you hear for the day, it'll help you deal with all the other voices you're going to hear that day. Uh, I know personally that the day I start with the news rather than God's word is the days where I struggle to trust God the most. It'll probably help to use a good devotional or reading guide to help. Uh, and a lot of Bibles actually have those in the back. You might want to make use of one of those. But start each day in the Bible. Also, End each, uh, end each day in the Bible. So having God's voice is the first thing we hear each day and the last thing we hear each day will change us. It's easy to have our heads hit the pillow, you know, thinking about that last text message or what we read on the news or what you watched on TV, the things we have to do tomorrow. But what if the things that we're turning over and over in our minds as we drift off are actually the words of God to us, to reassure us, to comfort us, to remind us? doesn't need to be much, perhaps just a couple of verses of a psalm. Again, a reading guide might help. But if we bookend our day with God's word, we surely can't go wrong. It will change us. Number three, study the Bible. Of course, reading the Bible is valuable because God speaks whenever his word is open. But God's word also rewards those who dig a little deeper. You could use a good study Bible to help you understand a bit more about what you're reading. You could also get a good book to learn some extra skills for your Bible reading. Uh, maybe how to read the different types of writing in the Bible, like reading poetry or, or reading uh, prophecy. You could get a good popular level commentary uh, to read through part of the Bible, a book of the Bible, uh, and really get to grips with it. Uh, if you'd like some recommendations of good uh, study material to use, resources, I'm happy to give those. You could also check out the church library in the foyer. There's a few good things there as well. Maybe the next time you choose to watch a YouTube video or, a pod, or listen to a podcast, 
that you don't pick something that helps you understand the latest current issues better, but you pick something that will help you understand God's Word better. And as you grow in your understanding of the Bible, I promise you, you'll grow in your knowledge of God, you'll grow in your appreciation of the Gospel, and you'll grow in your confidence in the Word of God. So we've got three things so far. Start each day in the Bible, end each day in the Bible, and study the Bible. Number four, memorize the Bible. I think we, we sometimes think this is just for Sunday school, where we have a memory verse each week. But memorizing the Bible actually helps to embed it in our lives. Uh, one writer said that a bad memory was the downfall of Israel in the Old Testament. You know, I find verses that I've learned over the years coming back to my mind, often when I need them, when I don't have my Bible with me. Maybe pick one verse a week and keep testing yourself each day until you can, until you can say it down, until it's, it's uh, in the long-term memory. Maybe, you know, do it with a friend. That could be fun. Keep testing each other until you've learned verses together. So number four, memorize the Bible. Number five, Come to church, which, you know, preaching to the choir, that's okay. Goes without saying, but come to church and hear the Bible preached. There's something that happens as God's word is proclaimed in the presence of God's people that drives God's word deep into our hearts. And let me encourage you as well, don't just, don't just sit and consume a sermon. Engage with it. It might help you to have your Bible open and uh, be outlines on the, the service brochure, take notes, uh, scribble things that stand out to you, things that you're not sure about, you want to explore further, uh, things you want to pray about, uh, draw pictures and diagrams, whatever helps you remember and engage with what you're hearing. Number six, read and study the Bible together. And I think, you know, it's, it's one of the most wonderful things about Christ's church that his word dwells in us, in each of us. And the reason we're, we're taught in Colossians chapter 3 is so that we can, excuse me, so that we can speak it to each other. Because Christ church doesn't work where you've got, you know, one guy up here who's got all the answers. I disclaimer, I don't. God's word has all the answers and it's been given to all of us. And there's something that Christ expects of his church, that we speak God's word to one another. So join a grace community group. Meet regularly with a friend to read the Bible and pray together. Let that teaching and learning dynamic be active among us as we grow in our discipleship together. And number seven, just to round it off in a biblical way, and this isn't a biblical principle, it's going to be one of these, uh, not, I, but not the Lord, but I say this. And yes, it might just be me being old-fashioned, but let me say, don't just rely on your phone or your tablet or your device for your engagement with God's Word. Yes, our devices can make Bible reading very accessible, make it very portable, make it very easy. But our devices also have the greatest potential for distraction. Uh, they also aren't as good at helping us remember what we've read. Uh, studies show that. And finally, um, this thing runs out of battery. Uh, this thing doesn't run out of battery. Also, another thing is that you'll learn how the Bible fits together and where things are as you hold it in your hands and you physically turn the pages. You scan over things to find things. You'll notice things that you've seen before. 
real physical Bible and a good translation will help you spend undistracted time learning and growing and remembering God's Word. So let me encourage you to think seriously about doing that. Friends, Jesus expects that we will be disciples who will learn to observe all the things he has commanded. We might worry about how to fit more of the Bible into our very already busy lives. We might worry about our ability to understand what we, what we read. But surely if Jesus thinks God's word is important to our discipleship, he will provide both the time and the ability if we just respond in faith. You might just need to start by praying about it and then making a few plans. One old Christian who'd been faithful in uh, making disciples for many, many years was once asked on his 80th birthday, what was the best advice he could give for the next generation? And he said, maintain at all costs a daily time of scripture reading and prayer. As I look back, I see that the most formative influence in my life and thought has been my daily contact with Scripture over 60 years. Oh, God, give us grace to apply these truths to our lives. Let's pray. Our God and Father, we thank you so much that we have your word in our hands, in words we can understand, that we can hear your voice speaking to us, that we can know you changing us through your powerful word. Father, I pray that as we engage with your word, that your spirit would indeed carry these truths deep into our hearts to change us and make us more like Jesus. Father, thank you that you have gone to such lengths to ensure that we have your word. Father, help us to have the same value and love for your word. Help us to rest in it, to learn it, to stand upon it. And this we pray in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. I just say as well, it's maybe a good opportunity. If you are at all interested in maybe hitting the reset button on your daily Bible reading, I have two copies of the daily reading Bible here. Um, it's 55 daily Bible readings with uh, full text, a little short Bible reading, some prayer points and some questions. Uh, this one's got Genesis, 2 Thessalonians, Hebrews, and a bit about Jesus, the person of Christ. If you're interested today, seriously, about uh, resetting your Bible reading, you're welcome to come and grab one of these two from me as a gift, uh, but just know that I'm going to give you a call in a month to see how it's going. <laughs> but um, you're welcome to come and see me afterwards. First come, first serve. Highly recommend these. Well, as we respond to God's Word now, we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper together.